Hello and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson. This week we're going to be focusing on the United States. We got news about the Oath Keepers, uh, about some weird sovereign citizen stuff going on, and about the National Conservatism Conference. I'm going to start out talking about domestic terrorism in the United States. This is just uh, confirming stuff that we already know. Uh, More and more reports are coming out with clear indications. The number of right-wing terrorist attacks not only dwarfs left-wing related violence uh, in the United States, but it literally dwarfs all other sources of mass violence for the last couple of years, um, including those associated uh, with radical expressions of the religion of Islam. And among these dangerous, violent right-wing organizations is one that I've talked about several times on this podcast. This is the Oath Keepers. Uh, I'm going to do a little bit more of a focus on this organization specifically because there was an info dump about them recently that's uh, earlier in October. This revealed the internal practices of the Oath Keepers, specifically the dump targeted information related to the second largest of the Oath Keepers branches. They're organized by state. The second largest branch of the Oath Keepers is in Florida, whereas the largest is in Texas. The Oath Keepers claim to be an organization primarily consisting of veterans or active members of the United States military or law enforcement agencies or other government agencies whose focus is specifically about civil defense or civil infrastructure, you know, quote, keeping people safe and stuff like that. The release of this information, which was taken from hacked servers and communiques and things like that from the Oath Keepers reveals a lot of their internal workings, specifically the vetting that was going on to join the organization officially. This vetting, especially after January 6th, got a lot more intense, uh, presumably because of the Oath Keepers' serious involvement with the attempted coup on January 6th. A lot of Oath Keepers were present. A lot of those people were the kinds that were, you know, showing up in like weird tactical gear, people who were armed, that sort of thing. The Oath Keepers have also been involved in a lot of the civil unrest that's been going on, both in the city of Portland and also throughout much of the rest of the United States, for example, in Oakland. After January 6th, the Oath Keepers required new members to hand in a lot of info. For example, they required new members to give them access to their IDs, Uh, any training information at their jobs. And remember, their jobs are like the police, the military, the National Guard, the Coast Guard, things like this. Uh, The memberships of the law enforcement agencies they belonged to, potential recruits within those law enforcement agencies where they were posted. Uh, This is like real deal type stuff, right? If you were trying to gain a picture of the United States security apparatus from the inside. And if you were trying to recruit members of a potential insurgent organization comprised of members of the security apparatus of the United States, these leaked internal questionnaires focus on the supposed members intention to quote, uphold the constitution and quote, civil preparedness. Essentially, this is a dog whistle. Uh, They are talking about preparations for a civil war in the United States, which is something that the members of the right wing have been talking about for a long time, and rhetoric that has not declined and will not be declining in the near future. 
more and more evidence of their connection with other groups has also resulted from this dump. Specifically, we see their connections to a right-wing organization called Judicial Watch, uh, which is sort of brands itself as a political action committee, isn't an advocacy organization, but essentially it is a right-wing think tank and legal defense network. Moving on from the Oath Keepers to something a little stranger, the city of Oroville, California, votes itself to be arguably sovereign to the United States. Maybe that's what they were trying to go for. Uh, This is coming from MSN, uh, which also posts the Oroville Enterprise record on its website. The city council of Oroville voted that the city is, quote, under a constitutional republic. Now, I guess that might legally be the case in that that is technically the kind of government that the United States has. But on the right wing, this is a dog whistle for the sovereign citizens movement. What is a sovereign citizen, you might ask? Well, in some manifestations, it's about standard right wing bullshit about state and local rights, which are stand ins for desires to uphold white supremacy and patriarchy. But more radical expressions of the sovereign citizens movement argue that individuals only are sovereign, uh, that states, governments, countries, nothing else uh, has sovereignty, only individual persons, uh, and that therefore no courts or laws have any jurisdiction over them. Uh, So if somebody says that they're a sovereign citizen, uh, they might, you know, get arrested by the police. And when they go to court, they argue that the court is invalid uh, because they are not subject to the jurisdiction of the court. Uh, This is pretty ridiculous, but it has been going on in the United States for quite some time. If you recall, several years ago, the debacle between Cliven Bundy and the Bureau of Land Management over his claims to be able to do ranching wherever the fuck he wants, This is related to the sovereign citizens movement, but sovereign citizens specifically have been engaging in altercations with the United States security apparatus. You know, we're talking police, the organizations like the Bureau of Land Management that control the use of unincorporated land in the United States, just the whole bureaucracy about state, territory, population, that sort of thing. Uh, They consider themselves to be the enemy of this kind of state organization, and I guess imagine themselves to be the harbingers of a new way of dealing with the world that incorporates only individual citizens' rights. Obviously, this is a cover for what they consider to be, you know, the right way that the world should work, which is that people can't take what they have. These are white people protecting the ill-gotten gains of capitalism, colonialism, racism, and the patriarchy. And speaking of classism, colonialism, and the patriarchy, we come to the National Conservatism Conference. The National Conservatism Conference is an international organization founded several years ago, uh, coming out of the Edmund Burke Foundation. Now, Edmund Burke was a famous British philosopher, politician, theorist from the 18th and 19th centuries. Edmund Burke was a member of the British Parliament and is noted now as the father of Anglophone conservatism. So uh, the intellectual foundations of conservatism in the United States, in the United Kingdom and Australia, a lot of it traces back to the ideas of this particular guy. He was also a noted critic of the French Revolution. Uh, So out of this Edmund Burke Foundation comes the National Conservatism Conference, or NATCON, uh, as they appear to have chosen to call themselves. 
NetCon has, like I said, both global and U.S. conferences. Uh, those global conferences have been held in Rome and London, and the two that have been held in the United States, one was in Washington, D.C., and one was just concluded in Orlando as U.S. NotCon 2. Speakers included a lot of just sort of minor who's who's of right-wing and nationalist and just relatively normal conservative groups in the United States. But also there were some pretty notable folks uh, from Senator Ted Cruz, who a lot of the people at the conference considered to be potentially not right-wing enough for their audience. But definitely right-wing enough are Josh Hawley and Peter Thiel. Josh Hawley is a member of the United States Senate who notably uh, saluted the participants in the January 6th coup. When he saw them, he he brought his right fist up in, you know, it's sort of like power salute uh, to greet them. Peter Thiel, of course, is the most famous fascist in Silicon Valley and a longtime supporter of right-wing organizations and intellectuals in California. The position of the National Conservatism Conference is that conservatives need to turn toward nationalism and nationalist thinking in the, you know, in the mode of Eastern European countries transition back towards brazen nationalism. You know, we're talking about Poland and Hungary here specifically. This is because they were worried, and there's pretty good reason to be worried about this, that the mainstream conservative movement in the United States prior to the, you know, 2010s, let's say, uh, this is the conservatism of somebody like George W. Bush, was not particularly nationalistic, nor was it brazenly racist enough for nationalist conservatives. The NatCon's goal is to put this kind of rhetoric back in the mainstream in the United States. And of course, they're not just talking about racism, and they're not just talking about um, ethnic discrimination. Josh Hawley's speech at the convention, for example, emphasized the role of men in leading society. He was talking about traditional values, past economic power, opposition to queerness, and you know the redefinition of the family, or what they considered to be the redefinition of the family away from traditional lines. His claim is that the Democrats and the left in general are committing an assault on what he calls manhood and virtue. Uh, this is very staple. This is very normal right-wing rhetoric, especially when right-wing speakers and intellectuals want to emphasize the connections between their understanding of why the economy is failing. Um, you know, they, they think that the economy is failing not because of the way capitalism works or just changes in modes of production. They claim that the economy in the United States is having a rough time because of parasites on society, right? And that's why they emphasize the supposed role of white men as providers and producers in the halcyon days of, you know, I guess, specifically 1945 to 1973, I guess, is the, the date that they think that the United States should go back to. In any case, this organization will continue to draw together right-wing thinkers and ideologues for a long time to come. Finally, going to close out this episode as I do every episode with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. This week, I'm returning to somebody who died last year whose death I noted, but, you know, he's been dead now. Uh, I can give him actually a little bit more better treatment. Now, this person is Tom Metziger, a noted U.S. neo-Nazi, Klansman, that is the Ku Klux Klan, uh, and sometimes political candidate. 
Uh, Metzger was born in Indiana in 1938. He worked in manufacturing and in electronic sales, served in the military in the early 60s, and also joined the John Birch Society. Opposition to paying taxes, uh, you know, in a sort of like sovereign citizen type way, led him to the extreme fringes of the right wing in the United States in the 1970s. Uh, That is how he joined David Duke's KKK in the 1970s. And in California, where he was based, he formed an anti-immigration militia, which also engaged in violence with leftist organizations. He eventually split with David Duke's KKK in the late 70s and formed his own California branch of the Klan. A true serialist opportunistic politician, Metzger then left this Klan in 1982 to found the White Aryan Resistance, which is the political organization he's most famous for and most associated with. Uh, The abbreviation here is WAR. Uh, After a few name changes, WAR established itself as an openly white supremacist political organization with pamphlets, tiny radio and TV shows, you know, media appearances, that sort of thing. Uh, Metzger and War continued to be involved in violent activity and were eventually successfully bankrupted by a civil suit undertaken by survivors of Mulugeta Seral, an Ethiopian student who came to the United States to attend college, who was murdered in Portland, Oregon uh, in 1988. He was murdered by affiliated skinheads. Uh, these skinheads were affiliated with the white Aryan resistance in Portland. Uh, and the SPLC sued War and Metzinger on the charge that he had specifically aided and abetted this violence, that he had driven these people to commit these acts. Uh, and they won. Uh, they won what was at the time the largest civil suit in Oregon's history. They won $12.5 million from War and Metzger. Metzinger lost his home and essentially all of his other assets, except for those that were legally required in order for him to continue to live. War was forever stymied by its need to continue to pay this suit because, of course, they did not have $12.5 million lying around at the time. Metzinger's political activities were really, really hobbled by this, and he never uh, grew to the same prominence and power that he had had before. Uh, However, he continued to be an advocate for right-wing organizations and right-wing violence. Specifically, he is noted as being one of the main pushers of the supposed lone wolf uh, tactics um, of the extreme right in the 1990s. Although, uh, as most scholars today point out, this lone wolf business uh, wasn't exactly alone, right? Uh, This was being pushed by one of the top neo-Nazis in the United States. Uh, These people were specifically not acting alone. Uh, And the murder of uh, Mr. Seurat is a clear indication of this. Tom Metzinger died this day in history, November 4th, 2020, of Parkinson's disease. So, Tom Metzinger, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, like, share, and subscribe. Please tell a friend, family, or comrade about it. Leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. And if you really enjoyed the podcast, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism, all one word. You can also reach me at gmail.com at 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. Uh, if you have any questions, concerns, corrections, things you want to make sure that I talk about. All right, I'll talk to you next week. 